0: Okay, we're re- we're recording.
1: So how are you doing? I'm okay. <laughs>
0: I had a <laughs> had a bit of a surprise. What two weeks ago today? Yeah, my daughter was 11 weeks early, which makes her extremely premature. But everything's okay so far, so good. Yeah, thanks to and Thanks to. It's an incredible experience to sort of go through because really see firsthand you know what this sort of revolution has provided us the revolution being the scientific revolution I guess but, but the, the I mean just things from the from the instruments that they use for these tiny babies to the you know the knowledge required by the um, nurses and the doctors the pediatricians we went to um Erasmus MC, which is Erasmus Medical Center in Rotterdam, and there they've got like a special, a special um, unit for 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 for, various, for premature babies, and it's a it's a one of the reasons why we went there instead of Delft, where we live is be, we were transferred there actually, and it's because it is an academic university, and a lot of teaching goes on there, you know, and one of the incredible things is you have this you know the kids really talking to us about the about um, you know what's going to happen, with the, with the, with the birth and things. I reckon they're probably 24 years old, some of these kids. They're really learning on the job. So it's a fascinating, I mean from, from, from an educator's perspective, f- forget the, the fear and the, and the um, anxiety that I was going through as a, as a sort of husband and a soon-to-be father looking at how these looking at how medical education really puts their students deep within the context that they that they need to be in in order to learn is 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 fascinating and i and i although they looked the 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 sort of the doctors um you know they looked young i I wasn't I, i didn't have any less confidence in them and um i'm not sure if that's me personally but yeah i was very impressed i was very impressed by it all um yeah so just even the way they learn is there's nothing high tech about about that you know just you know you got to go talk to the talk to the parents go and go Mm -hmm. and do it they sort of send 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 a couple of people off and Mm
1: -hmm. yeah is that part of their medical practice
0: i think it i think it's like a you know they have to do this they
1: have to do it yeah
0: yeah it's part it's just the same way if you're learning how to become a teacher you have to go and you know jump in the classroom before you graduate you're not Mm -hmm. able to become a teacher without well at least in australia and most other places i know of you can't be a teacher without actually spending time in the classroom so they're not going to um the university is not going to sign you off as a medical doctor until you've actually you know spent time in these in, uh, in the ward dealing with patients and i guess to begin with they are supervised you know it's it's like an apprenticeship program mm-hmm. the same way one might become a uh, a carpenter or a cabinet maker or an electrician you know you mm-hmm. you follow somebody along and you slowly develop the skills and the knowledge and the attitudes required to do the task well and it's i guess maybe that's an interesting thing about medical education it's really a mixture of this highly academic, very knowledge-based curriculum, and also very practical skills-based curriculum, where you have to, um, where you have to, you know, do work on the job, mm-hmm. learn on the job, and there's no other way to do it. I don't think.
1: Well, it's something that you have to practice first of all. And by the way, in medicine, they have this uh, very interesting term, clinician. Who is this person who is not actually uh, a scientist? They don't do research. But of course, their practice is somehow informed by by research or science. I would probably say science in this case, not, not not research. Whereas we don't have an equivalent term for teachers. I mean, we have teachers, but we don't call teachers clinicians. We call them practitioners or, or, or educational practitioners. Whereas. Yeah, we...
0: Or a teacher, you call them teachers. In, in maybe I never thought of myself as a practitioner, or you know, maybe academics refer to teachers as practitioners. As practitioners, that's what we yeah. do. Yeah, that's what yeah. we do. But a teacher would never refer to themselves as a practitioner.
1: Yeah. Or educators, but I don't know. Educators yeah. is uh, it's like doctors, basically. I right? mean, the, the equivalent would be doctor. Or medical okay. doctor.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I sometimes... Would, yeah, I think I would sometimes, as a teacher, I would also identify as an educator. I feel like an educator is... It's a little bit more broad. Mm-hmm. You know, you can... Mm-hmm. It's even... Yeah, it's more... Maybe it's it involves more than just the act of teaching. Maybe you're also thinking about... More deeply about pedagogy and about curriculum... But all teachers think deeply about pedagogy and curriculum, even Absolutely. though they're not maybe, maybe doing it intentionally all the time. Absolutely. But it's inevitable.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also think that teachers normally are also reflective. They mon- might not be reflexive, but certainly they reflect upon their own practice. I mean, I don't think that you can be a teacher without uh, reflecting on your own practice what you do. Especially no. in this period. In this period, I think that all teachers have developed their own opinions and they have their own observations about what is going on. I think
0: one of the reasons why teachers, even though they might not do it, you know, they might not write underneath their lesson plan at the end of each lesson, you know, three points that went well in this lesson and three yeah. things I need to improve. Yeah. But basically, if you're a teacher, your main goal is okay, I'm going to spend an hour, if you're a secondary school teacher or a specialist teacher, I'm going to spend you know, a, a whole day with these students and I need to get these things done. In order for me to make that as enjoyable as possible for both of us, mm. teachers are constantly thinking on their feet, how can I change what I'm doing or how can I change what I did next time I'm going to do it? And it's sort of like... It 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 can be purely selfish as well. It's like let's make this as painless as possible. I've got to teach these students long us, division. Yeah. You know, yeah, I've yeah. got to teach these students about. Um, you know, I've got to teach these students about World War Two in four and a half weeks. You know, how can we how can we both enjoy this process? And the only way you can really make sure that the process is as good as possible and as and enjoyable as possible is to reflect upon the way you're doing it after each class or after each unit of work. and um, you're, mm.
1: Yeah, and there are any way in a, in a feedback loop with the students. I mean, you can't teach without, without seeing, evaluating, assessing what you have been doing. You can't be a teacher. And I don't think that there is any teacher who just forgets about uh, this feedback loop with students. You need, no. uh, you need to, to see... To see the effects of your, of, of your decisions, of your plan, also your performance. These are all different things because we might not necessarily reflect upon our own performance. For instance, how I performed uh, last week in, in, the, in the class that I had uh, with, uh, with second graders. But certainly, there is a feedback loop I'm constantly uh, involved in uh was the plan good uh, were the students engaged are they learning can i do something to change what is not working is there anything that that is not actually working or everything is fine and from year to year obviously you always change something
0: yeah that's the dream that you, you tell yourself when you're uh, as a as a new teacher you know okay the first year is just exhausting no matter what but you're thinking okay it's right i put the effort in now and i'm teaching this i know i'm going to teach the same classes next year so i can reuse the planning i can reuse the worksheets i've created i can reuse the presentations but of course the next year comes around and you end up redeveloping pretty much everything not entirely from scratch but it it is the case that you're never going to teach the same class twice. Absolutely. And I guess it's always about, you know, what are the students, what students do you have? What are they going to be responding to? Mm. That that said, I'm sure everybody's got stories about, you know, their high school math teacher who they felt like sort of did exactly the same lesson for 30 years or even university lecturers who taught the same thing. Exactly the same way for thirty years. I'm not sure how true that is, but it's sort of—it's definitely a story we tell each—tell tell ourselves that when when I had this really bad teacher, they—they, they, I'm sure they just—they never changed anything ever. They, I mean, you, I've—I've I've been guilty of it in the sense that when teaching certain topics of work, I've you—I I remember using the same bad joke, you know, two years <laughs> two years consecutively about um you know whatever it was so so there is there is some repetition, and there's there is some recycling, but yeah you, you it's
1: never the same, it's never the same yeah. because of course, what you might say, what you say might be the same, the jokes might be the same, you can recycle those. But uh, but the students are always different, and even when you are teaching the same group of people, they are changing so fast. I mean, I remember myself when I was an adolescent, or also earlier, uh, early, earlier in my school career. I mean, every year was different from me. I mean, I had clearly this perception that after some uh, after the long summer break, I felt like another person, and uh, and uh, and teachers have to deal with every year with the. Uh, 15 20 new people every every single year you know and this is and this is amazing content wide v- content wise of course i don't think that we change so fast as as uh, as, uh, as the as the students were teaching to but anyway i mean we are constantly facing change and it's uh it's uh it's a uh, it's, uh, it's a fact of teaching although i think that some people would uh, would minimize it because uh, As we discussed last time, we tend to focus on the materials that we share, the content. Uh, In a way, we still have this bias, uh, or we still hold this idea that teaching is about transferring information. And this comes from the computer revolution, because computers... uh, I mean, the kind of information theory that we have adopted uh, for creating and making computers is based on uh, information transferring, information processing. But but communication, human communication, is way 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 more complex than that, and, and it's and and it certainly requires a different kind of information theory to deeply understand what is going on. And one thing is that we're 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 constantly dealing with different people, different needs, different feelings, uh, even sometimes different worldviews. Even when, of course, pupils don't articulate their own worldview, but uh, but we're 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 talking about. Uh, Uh, again, variety, this time from the student's uh, side.
0: And of of course, the teachers change as well year on year. I can distinctly remember my own practice changing based on certain books I'd read. Two that come to mind, one was, um, uh, this is when I was teaching uh, year six, so the last year of primary school in, in London. And I read a book by Joe Bold I think her name is. It's the elephant in the classroom. And she was a mathematics educator or writer about mathematics education. That book, as well as Carol Dweck's Mindsets, those two books, when I finished, uh, they fundamentally changed the way that I approached the the lessons that I I taught. Now, I, I wouldn't say that that happens as much as a new cohort of students will change the way that I interacted in the classroom. But I, I imagine that there's these key moments throughout a teacher's career or an educator's career, a lecturer's career, that can fundamentally make a change to how they approach teaching and learning. Mm-hmm. And, and and maybe this sort of this COVID era is, is going to be one of those one of those monumental sort of pieces of time of a of an individual's career that it changes the way how they teach fundamentally for the for the rest of you know for the for the until another fundamental change sort of happens and i imagine the internet was another one of those things i imagine web point two web 2.0 was another one of those things that changed a lot of teachers approach to, um, to the way they teach?
1: Well, certainly in the long run. Certainly in the long run. First the computer, well actually first the television, then the computer, uh, and then the web and web 2.0. Yeah, those were, yes, I agree that there are, there were monumental moments in the history of teaching for yeah, virtually all teachers and learning, yes, and learning. But we're talking now about this sort of, what I call the feedback loop when Basically, every teacher needs to understand what is going on in in students' head uh, and in their classroom, by the way, because they don't teach one to one, but they teach a class usually. And before this, before this episode, you you shared with me an infographic uh, uh, yeah. about the situation of uh, I think it's it's about American colleges, if I got it correctly. Yeah, uh, it's uh, about uh, more than three thousand college students in the U.S. I suspect. Uh, about their plans for uh, the next semester in 2000, uh, September 2020, and there were, uh, well, they, well, it's an infographic, so we don't have the, the the real data. But there were some interesting talking points that maybe we can go through today, because we're talking about students, and perhaps this is the right the right thing to do today. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think that's a good uh, a good idea. I do have the. I didn't share with you the original. Um, article but it's it's from tom hat top hat which is a top i, I don't know hat, how yes. i yeah um but i think it's
1: actually from is it canada. a think tank canada okay yeah so it's not america it's 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 canada well it's
0: it's it's north america north
1: american yes yes
0: and they use the term fall to describe autumn so yeah
1: autumn semester yeah yeah uh, i mean it was it was an interest i mean as i said uh there were very interesting talking points. And, and, well, the first thing that I would like to bring up is that finally <laughs> we tap into students' experience, which is something that we never do. And yet, as we have just said, uh, for teachers, it's so important to know what is going on in students' minds. And I think that we are, as teachers uh, as well as as lecturers, we are always involved in this feedback loop. So this is the first thing. Uh, also because students are not actually customers in a very specific sense because we construct together our own learning and teaching experience. And especially in these days when basically we had to reinvent uh, teaching and learning, it's so important, at least to me, to understand, to understand how they are experiencing this period uh, of forced, uh, remote uh, um, teaching and learning and uh, and there were a, a few points, as I said before, that I would like, perhaps, to to bring up, and so we can uh, we can discuss them for the rest of this episode. Uh, well, the first thing is that it seems that uh, uh, they they don't quite like this online uh, <laughs> online learning or online teaching. Perhaps we should actually now distinguish between online teaching and learn and uh, an online learning. And the reason is that. Uh, they miss uh, socializing. They miss the social part. Um, the term that was used in this, uh, in this survey was human connection, which is something that we discussed, I think, in the, in the third episode, when we were discussing about MOOCs and the future uh, of, of, of learning higher in, in, in higher education. Uh, another thing that is quite interesting is that, uh, in spite of the fact that they haven't quite enjoyed this remote uh, teaching and learning, Uh, They said 48% of them said that they would be fine with having asynchronous learning activities, which means that when they are given uh, uh, things to do. Uh, At the same time, they have also uh, uh, really appreciated uh, the, the, the effort made by the teaching staff members. And this is, I think... Perhaps is specific to Canada, to the to the educational culture that they have there. Uh, they should be politically correct. I don't know, but uh, but this is something quite interesting because they actually understood, uh, students understood uh, that lectures and teachers are really doing their best in this period. Uh, but another another interesting piece of data is that seventy-eight percent of the respond of, of the respondents said that these online teaching was unengaging now 78 is is it is huge i mean seventy-eight percent yeah and uh and uh and then of course they also described the, the feelings that students have uh, or they've have, have had 52 percent of students feel anxious about their future and some of them mm, are now considering whether to return uh, uh, to return for the full term, and apparently seven percent uh, are thinking to quit. Now we don't know the reason why they want to quit, but anyway, this is another piece of uh, a piece of the puzzle. Um, what else to say? I guess. Well. I-
0: I guess one thing to t- keep in mind while we do look at this is that we don't have any comparison to what they would say before the yeah. COVID yeah. and with just regular learning. I think that that point about the missing human connection, I think that's that's a major one that's specifically related to um, the, the online learning um, paradigm, but let's ignoring the fact that we don't know what they would normally be, it's alarming nonetheless that the engagement levels are so low, or they find engagement so unengaging, 78 percent find online class experiences unengaging. Because if we're expecting that this will continue like it probably will for at least semester one of the 2020, 2021 academic year. So the second half of this year it's probably not good enough to be to have students that are that disengaged.
1: Yeah, especially because they have to keep going. They have to keep going for at least another semester, so this can be quite demotivating for them. I mean, imagine returning from the summer break and you still have to face this uh, Forgive my French this shit so seven 70- I don't think that's I don't think that's French. It's not French, okay. <laughs> well, but anyway, uh so this is quite huge, this is quite huge, yes and uh, and what what is even more worrisome is that most likely, when they say that it's not engaging, they speci i mean i don't I don't know, but this is my guess, this is my sort of hunch. They are referring to this human connection, because if you look at the number, uh, if you look at the numbers, fifty-eight percent. As I said before, forty-eight percent of the students said uh, they are fine with this asynchronous type of learning. So they are okay when it comes to reading, writing, and doing these sorts of things. But probably for them, education is way more than uh, reading, and. Uh, filling in some forms uh, some assessment uh, stuff like that perhaps it's way more than that and that's why that's why we have this sort of paradox that 78% said that it's unengaging but at the same time you have nearly 50% saying well I'm fine with this asynchronous type of learning considering that by the way 50% uh, uh, of their time is spent on coursework so it's it's really about this hardcore learning, reading, watching videos, participating in online classes.
0: Okay, so in addition to this 48% where they prefer independent, asynchronous online learning, the surprise to me was that 36%, only 36% prefer a blended learning model consisting of in-person and online instruction. Because this was my experience in my EdTech Masters at Tata University. I had this, there was this blended model. Although it was this, I guess there's so many variations of blended. Does it mean every week you come into yeah. the course or do you do it yeah. just at the start and the finish? But I feel like this, for me, this is the way to go. You, you get a yeah. mixed mixture of both blended, you know, in-person face-to-face contact with your lecturers and your peers, but then the majority of learning happens online. But they seem to have said that this is actually their least preferable method of learning.
1: Yeah, it's 36%. 36% of students would see blended learning, but but maybe it's because they haven't really experienced it because uh, after the lockdown, they just had this online format.
0: Yeah. And I guess even. And it's not really an option anyway.
1: And it's not an option. In in the current
0: climate. No.
1: Yeah. We're actually, uh, I mean, here in Estonia, and more specifically the University of Tartu, I heard colleagues uh, who are contemplating the possibility to to have some kind of uh, uh, hybrid format so that uh, students can actually come to the classroom if they want, but if they don't want. uh, an online uh, replacement will be provided, meaning that all the classes will be streamed, which is actually particularly difficult. And it's not blended learning; it's it's a hybrid form of learning, which I think we should just forget because it would uh, it would create inequality among students. Yes, but.
0: You like that variety of options, don't you? So shouldn't you be giving those students the option to choose to come into class or stay at home?
1: Well, I think that if it's an emergency, yes. But if it's not an emergency, and given the fact that uh, they seem to appreciate uh, the human connection and the possibility to interact, this is another another piece of data that clearly emerged they want to interact during the classes maybe this is specific to Canada again uh, and their and their educational culture in which students tend to be a little bit more active certainly more active than Estonian students but, uh, but, but this is about a situation in which you're forced and if you're forced uh, then of course uh, you might be provided this option uh, uh, because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's the only thing that you can do but think of a situation in which you're not forced. In that case, I think that you will lose something. You will lose the possibility to interact and uh, it will be a lot more variety to absorb uh, for the teachers. Because if you have to keep track, uh, basically you have to deal with two groups. Yeah. And, uh, and, and from my own experience, this is very hard. And you need to have uh, special rooms for them, uh, for that. If you don't have special room, forget that you can do it uh, you know with tools like panopto or or or, or any other streaming uh, tool it's it's a, you need to have microphones you need to have uh, good speakers you need to have an equipped room which uh, not all uh, all colleges or all universities can can have for all teachers I think another sort
0: of important or interesting part here is the fact that 50% said that they are spending less time on coursework. So if those students that are spending less time on coursework still manage to get their grades and pass through and graduate, it always, to me, it brings up the idea of, you know, what is the value that we're offering these students? And if they're able to pass the course with 50 by doing less work, Like, is that, are they actually more, are they actually tackling the coursework in a more clever way? Because then, where they're not spending the time on the coursework, they can then go learn something else that is more directly related to what they see as being beneficial for their future. Of course, if you spend less time on your coursework, it doesn't mean that you're going to go spend it doing other learning activities. You might spend it playing playstation or watching whatever, watching netflix whatever. yeah
1: yeah, watching netflix yeah
0: but but the, i i think the, the thing is it's like how much of what we offer students in the classroom is actually necessary for what they want from the course and from the institution's perspective what are they willing to give up as a sort of baseline for what they expect to say this piece of paper that we give to you at the end of these four years this is the this is the level that we think that you're at and this is what this paper means so are they are universities devaluing their certificates their bachelor's their masters um courses by by allowing students to spend less time on coursework but still pass and what's the balance look like? Where is this balance?
1: Yeah, but perhaps we should look at the context in this case because this number is referring to this uh, uh, emergency si- emergency situation. So probably this is also the result of the fact that lecturers themselves didn't know exactly what to do. There was a sudden switch. Maybe they also had a breaker. Maybe they had to adapt to the new situation, uh, and maybe the situ the new situation will not be the norm for the future. Maybe there will be something different. But uh, I agree, I agree, I agree. And this is also about uh, uh, online education. If online education is uh, is a uh, is worth pursuing, because in a way, what they have experienced is this online education. Although we keep saying that this is a remote type of. Uh, an emergency situation so the courses were not designed uh, to be online courses uh, which is always something that we have to factor in uh, when we try to interpret this 50% which is anyway alarming and uh, and I think that this is anyway something that that I would have uh, brought up even before covid-19 uh, the covid-19 pandemic yeah and it's about relevance and it's about relevance um including the relevance uh, the, the, i mean the the real the real impact of having uh, uh i mean the impact on learning and professional development uh of of all these master programs bachelor programs especially especially i would say master programs although in this case they are referring to colleges but are they colleges bachelor programs or or the or they also include master programs i do not know you don't know Probably both. Certainly, it's, 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 it's not the PhD. But the PhD is completely different. It has a different structure. By the way, another interesting thing. We were talking about an engaging online class experience. This is what we were referring to. Another piece of data. 75% of the students miss face-to-face interaction with faculty and as well as students. This is another very interesting thing. Uh, because here we are specifically talking about face-to-face interaction, which is unfortunately what online education or or, or online teaching and learning don't provide. What do you think?
0: I mean, just uh, under, uh, like in, in addition to that, it, it continues to say that 52% of these students are spending less time on coursework. Yeah. So... That tends to make sense to me. So if you value face-to-face interaction with students and faculty, then you are also less likely to be engaged in the coursework and you spend less time in the coursework. That makes complete sense to me.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and therefore you have this experience of uh, disengagement or unengagement because, of course, most of your learning and teaching activities were going on in this face-to-face format, which is actually something that they value. Do you think they're kind of maybe the respondents
0: who are looking at their their um, coursework and their interaction at university with rose-tinted glasses? So they they are now experiencing, experiencing online learning. They think, oh, this is this is really not very enjoyable at all. But then, if they were asked the same questions, how engaging are your are your lectures? do they forget how boring and dull some of their lectures were or do they like that? That's also sort of something that I'm trying to consider because I feel like, I feel like this big lecture theater learning model at universities in the last in in recent time has been getting a bit of a hard um, hasn't been the most popular of methods of teaching. People basically say it's it's too it's too depersonalised, there's not enough interaction with the lecturer because there's one lecturer and 400 students sometimes. So I wonder where that comes in because how much to, to faculty at a typical, let's say computer science 101 at a, a regular university, you might have 400 students participating in that lecture I do wonder how much faculty interaction there is with those students. I guess it comes in the smaller breakout groups and the tutorials and the seminars, and that might be what the the students are referring to with the face-to-face interaction as opposed to being one of four hundred students li- listening to a larger um, in a lecture theatre to a large large audience or as as a member of the large audience
1: well i agree and as you said uh, at the beginning of this episode you said that uh, we lack a term, of, a term of reference as to how uh, people responded before the lockdown how students were, will would actually respond to the to the to to what they were experiencing before the lockdown and before this global pandemic so i agree with you on the other hand i think that what they are what they are trying to say is that the overall experience in the classroom is different. And as you said, this also includes the, uh, the, the sort of chit-chat with other students, um, the chat that you can have with the lecturer during a break. Uh, and this is something that we haven't been able to replace in this online format, and this is something that it's incredibly hard to recreate uh, in an online format uh in another in another report in the report that we discussed during the last episode there was also mentioned the absence of group dynamics because uh when you use zoom or microsoft teams whatever webinar tool you're using you cannot actually have these one to one or or sp- small groups conversations with your peers or even even with the lecture during a break for example and this is i think something Something that might actually reduce the boredom of the traditional uh, lectures. Uh, in other words, yes, it might be boring, but at least uh, during the lecture I can uh, gossip with my fellow student, or I can exchange a few comments, and uh, and this makes it a little bit more bearable. Whereas when you are actually sitting in your own room uh, in front of a screen. Uh, it might be quite unbearable. Certainly because the lecture is the problem, but also the medium which amplifies uh, the, the the drawbacks of the practice, because we're actually talking about the practice. So partly partly it's the practice, partly also the person perhaps, the, the, the particular lecture, but then there is also the, the the medium that, as I said, it clearly amplifies the the, the negative aspects of our own uh, teaching and learning practices.
0: So do you think that we should be thinking about developing methods that provide students with a chance to fill that gap that they're missing related to interacting with students in the sort of informal ways? Or should we be Really trying to redesign the way that we do provide online education because that seems to be maybe not the two only options, but they seem to be two options to approach. If that's a true, if that's really the problem, they seem to be two two things.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I can answer this way Uh, as you know, we are trying to redesign our own on site session in our master program. Uh, so usually we would meet with students uh, at the beginning of the academic year for two weeks for an intense period of study. But uh, in the upcoming year, we might need to replace it. And, uh, and, uh, and I started having conversations with the future students. Uh, so what they would like to have, uh, uh, whether they would still like to come to Tartu or not. And and what I realized is that uh, because of the online format, we have to treat the socializing aspect of learning and learning itself and learning and teaching as two separate uh, goals. So essentially, it's much harder to socialize while doing this learning and teaching, uh, online learning and teaching. It's way harder, which means that in the online environment uh, or when we're talking about online education, you have to compensate on the lack of of, of 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 socialization, you need to find uh, alternative ways uh, for students to uh, um, to socialize, basically to feel to f- to feel that they are part of a community. And uh, uh, so, so this would be my answer. I think that we have to compensate on the lack of uh, socialization in the in the in the sort of digital world. Which, which, of course, can happen through social media, but I don't think that this is sufficient in any way. We have to treat it as a separate problem because, obviously, if we just rely on webinars, group dynamics will not emerge. Uh, all, all this chit-chat with your, uh, with your fellow student won't happen. We won't have many of the things that we would normally have uh, in a traditional classroom setting. And I don't think that pedagogy can can help us here or some kind of digital pedagogy because it's it's a constraint related to the medium. Because in this case, technology is the medium. It's like it's like the air, you know, that, that is conducive to to language, spoken language, for example. And I I I sta- I'm I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. So that's why we can only try to compensate, which is a way to Minimize the the negative effects that the medium produces. What do you think? I'm not. I'm I'm
0: starting to question whether or not the role of the university is to actually provide these face-to-face interaction with students and offer these um, sort of by chance encounters with friends and things in. If it is offering learning online, I completely understand that it is the role of the university and it's an important part of the university system to help students develop networks, um, develop their skills. I understand that that's there when when they're in in a brick-and-mortar situation, but why can't we actually why can't we just remove the need for that aspect of a lesson and of the time spent learning altogether and actually make it so that the lessons themselves are engaging and offer enough that that social interaction happens elsewhere online? So if we consider, let's say say if we consider homeschooling, for example, one of the biggest criticisms of homeschooling yeah. is the lack of socialization yeah. that the students have.
1: Yeah.
0: Parents yeah. who homeschool find a different avenue for their students to socialize and learn that socialization. So, I don't think it's necessarily part of the homeschooling curriculum that the students develop that socialization. At a unit do like do we really and this is a question I'm not sure, but do we really need to have that socialization aspect in the, uh, in the part of the design of the curriculum or the learning space, just because it's an important part of the brick and mortar system of the university, so the in, in-person system? Or can we say, all right, that is for somebody else to do. Our role as an online learning institution is to provide the knowledge and skills and attitudes necessary to perform whatever tasks you wish to perform in the future, or whatever task that may be. Now I'm not sure if that's the case. It's almost a bit sad if we sort of remove that, but just continuing on that, again, in this in this survey, they've got seventy six percent of students think online instruction is worse than in-person instruction. So there's fourteen percent who actually think online instruction is not worse than in-person instruction instruction. So that's not an insignificant number.
1: Well, in theory, because I think that they were they were asked about their own experience uh, with this uh, remote teaching. yeah, and and probably, as to the other question uh, about wh- what, what they prefer, probably it was uh, not referring back to their own experience. It was a, a yeah. general question, which, which anyway tells you, tells, tells you a great deal. But I think that what it tells is that in, uh, while in, in, in traditional settings, we don't need to make the distinction between, we don't need to separate the social element or the socializing element from the learning and teaching element—it's—it's uh, it's as if it's a package, you know. Uh, as soon as you get one, you get the other. In uh, in in online education, these these may come as separate entities. And then and then we have your question: whether in online education we need to provide this socializing asp- um, aspect. I would say, I mean, I don't know if you're playing the, the, the devil's advocate, but I would actually re- respond to this. I, I, would, uh, I would answer to this. I would say that uh, as a teacher, uh, I'm, I never deal with single individuals. I always deal, unless it's tutoring, which is something that I don't do. Uh, when I'm teaching, I'm always dealing with uh, a class of people. A group of people. So the socializing aspect uh, is always something that is there. Or it's, it's a need uh, that we have. And of course, I'm not saying that we have to do something so that students can become friends. I mean, I've seen this. I've seen this in my in, in our master. I've seen uh, some of the students becoming friends after these two weeks in which they were constantly together, which is something that is nice. I don't think that this is my job, uh, that they become friends or to create a condition for marriages among, among students uh, or these sort of things. But I think that uh, if we don't take care of the socializing aspect, uh, it becomes very... Uh, Uh, They, students are going to experience isolation, which is another thing, another recurrent theme in this pandemic period uh, that that people, I mean, students have said, uh, I feel way more isolated. uh, uh, It's hard to cope because you lack this uh, socializing dimension. So my my answer to your question will be: I think that we have to provide whether we have to provide. Uh, I mean, build uh, uh, gyms for students. That's another deal, and I would uh, and I would and I would agree that we don't have to have gyms. But uh, but when it comes to learning, I think that uh, online education is separating them because they don't come together. But we have to find a way to get them both to have the learning exp- the learning activities but also the socializing activities.
0: And the socializing activities in this case then is to aid the learning and to aid the development of the students.
1: Well isn't it it's, isn't it's, it the context it's, it's not, isn't it the context of learning? I mean we've used uh, this uh, this word context. Isn't it that socializing provide the uh, sort of milieu, the context in which learning and teaching can actually happen?
0: Yes. However, it doesn't mean that learning is not necessarily not going to happen if that context isn't provided. So there's other ways, there's other contexts where people can learn, and that could be more individually based. And I would even say that some students would prefer the individualized sort of stand like the, the students who say, I want to do the group work on my own. And of course, this is separate from teaching students how to actually teaching students about working in groups and collaboration and problem solving and, and things like this. This is separate from those discrete skills that are important. I, I guess um, I think I agree with you. you know I, think, I I think so I guess the the first question was like, okay, do we, do we redesign the way we de- deliver a curriculum? which doesn't require any socialization? Or do we try to develop tools and strategies which incorporate socialization into an online learning environment? And I probably agree that it's the second. We do want to develop tools and strategies to promote socialization in in the learning context. Um, But again, maybe this is a time where Different universities, different online courses have different approaches. So the same way universities used to specialize in technical, as a technical university, and some was purely an academic university, some focused on law, some focused on uh, medicine. Maybe this is the same thing. And, and it really, you know, as a student, you say, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working full time. I really just want to focus on the on the on the on the on the things that I need to know. I'm not interested in working with anybody else. So I'm going to choose university A because that is just giving me the facts giving me the lectures, you know, recorded, pre-recorded, no no bells and whistles. I'm just so driven. I can get through hours of lectures and hours of slides. But then another student's like, no, this is. I'm here for an experience. You know, I'm studying. I'm studying psychology, and I can't imagine studying psychology without actually without actually working with humans. Yeah, without so I'll take university yeah, B. Yeah,
1: yeah. Without, yeah, I agree that the subject matters a lot. I mean, I can't imagine learning about psychology uh, uh, without having the chance to interact with other people, because if you study psychology. Just to stick to your example, you are interested in in, in other in, in other human beings. So already in your worldview, this human connection, this human factor, is something that you don't want to renounce to. So I agree that it also depends on the on the on the subject. But uh, but this also points to another thing that uh, we ne- uh, which was which was the, the starting point of this conversation that students uh, need to be involved uh, in this, in this process. We need to know what they think, and to some extent they need to feel that the experience that they have or that they can have also depends on their own involvement and their own engagement. So, in this regard, I would say, well, dear students, if you feel that you're not engaged, what have you done in order to be engaged? And this, is, and this is a change in culture that I think that we have to, we have to make. We, and, and perhaps this, uh, the pandemic might offer this chance. I make an example, and maybe we can wrap up here with this. Um, as I said before, we're not so sure that we're going to meet our future students in August for two weeks in Tartu. So today I sent out a, a, a short survey to tap into their own uh, uh, to know to know what they think and also what 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 their plans are because since most of our future students are uh, uh from from outside estonia it was it was for me a way to see okay where do we stand and uh, and uh, and i think that one thing that i realized well first of all within 3 hours so i sent out uh, this uh this, uh, this, this short survey with uh, four que- three questions uh, three hours ago I sent it out to 28 students and 15 have already replied and uh, I gave them the opportunity uh, to have uh, their say to share their own, uh, their, own, their own plans and many of them actually wrote uh, what they think what they think we should do what they would like to have and this is i think a very important starting point and as i said before perhaps the pandemic since we don't know i mean we we are the first uh, who are deeply uncertain as to how to proceed and perhaps because of these uncertainties that we are experiencing it's the right moment to involve them to and and to make explicitly and to make explicit before them that uh, don't expect to be given something without giving back something so so if we move from uh, uh, so so in a way we should uh, move away from this idea that students are passive recipients which is also the idea behind uh, this extensive lecturing that it seems that people have stuck to you know students are subjects students are I wouldn't use the expression co-creators of their experience, but certainly they are participants. They are participants. They are participating as much as we are participating, although in different roles, because I have more power and I have a leverage, but nonetheless, uh, students are not like, I mean, lectures are not like uh, uh, sell assistants in in a shoes shop, where the only thing that you do is to show to offer them what what you have the students are the maker the shoemakers themselves they can decide uh, to some extent of course whether they would like to have uh, red shoes or black shoes uh, uh, the shape of the shoes and so on and so forth and uh, and I have and uh, and I think that we have to tap into this, to this uh, to this resource especially especially during during these times and I can tell you that maybe this is the first the, the last thing from my side one of the questions was would you agree to travel to Tart- to Tartu for the yoga session as originally planned and what is interesting is that none of the 15 respondents said no uh, 46 percent said yes so I'm talking about seven out of uh, 15 Uh all the others said well uh, yes i wish uh at the moment the borders are closed so they're actually referring to actual prob- uh, practical problems but none of them said no which means that at least in our case there is interest there is interest uh, and uh, and this is the best way to start uh, the new academic year
0: i think one of the the, the, the position that you're in is is very important because you actually have the have a sort of a ground to experiment and try different things in this age of the pandemic as it directly relates to educational technology so it might be a little bit of pressure on you Emanuele but you really you really have to um you really have to test out some things over this next coming year and I think this this podcast will be a good way for you to report back on the things that you try and the things that work and the things that don't work because it's going to be a fascinating 12 months to see to see the perception of of students and you know the fact that this already was a blended blended learning course also gives you that extra power that might previously You wouldn't have had if it was just a typical online course or a typical um, in 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 physical meat space course.
1: I agree. Yeah, I agree. And also because of the subject, which is certainly more relevant than ever. Yeah, yeah.
0: Of course, and maybe you know, maybe you're also the cohort that you're going to have coming in. Surely they're going to be inspired like no other cohort before them. To deeply think about these challenges we face because, again, it's it's so relevant to the world that they're living in. And I imagine a few of them are teachers,
1: if not all of them are teachers. Yeah, almost in some all way of them are. Yeah, yeah, they are at least educators or, or working in this domain. Practitioners. Yeah, practitioners. Yeah, educational practitioners. This is. Uh... Okay, well, yeah, certainly, yes, yeah, certainly, yes. I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm kind of excited, uh, and uh, but as I said, I think that this is this is one thing that, regardless of the subject that we are teaching or we're dealing with, we really have to think of students as our. Um, uh, again, I wouldn't use this word co-creators because it's a bit uh, you know, cheesy word, but uh, but certainly they are collaborators and, and, and what we make in learning is, 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 uh, is something something important something that, something that without without this collaboration without the collaboration between teachers and, teachers and learners cannot actually be. and that's why probably we care so much about their engage- their level of engagement their motivation and so on and so forth because we know, we know that it's important how they feel how they relate to their learning process
0: well that's a probably a very good place to end it Emmanuel thank you very much thank you very much
1: and see you the next time yeah until next time until the next time